All right, you ready to get into Philippians? We're going to do this whole thing in a, uh, the context of, uh, of a story, of a scene. So I'm going to take you back about 20 years or so when I was a youth pastor here. And uh, when I was a youth pastor here, we had a great time. Uh, we call it the day. Back in the day, we had hundreds of kids and had a blast. Um, we really were an open door to the youth of the community and welcomed everybody in. Now, of course, the highlight of any youth group usually is summer camp. And we were uh, pleased to be able to go to Hume Lake every single summer. And uh, it was an awesome time. Hume Lake, if you don't know what it is, is like the West Coast premier uh, Christian camp. And when I was a youth pastor back in the 90s, they built a ropes course. Anybody been on a ropes course, zip lines, anything like that? Okay, tons of fun, right? Totally fun, but totally terrifying. It, it looks fun when you're on the ground and terrifying when you're up there for the very first time. When you're up there for the first time, you are absolutely convinced in that moment you're going to die. You're not going to make it, right? Especially when you're young. So as a youth pastor, it is so much fun to watch young people who think they're going to die. It's just so hysterical. <laughs> uh, nothing more fun than that. And now at the end of this ropes course, uh, there was something called the pamper pole. Now, the pamper pole was very, very aptly named. A 30-foot high pole, it's like a power pole that you climb up, and then you have to get yourself to stand on top of that little 8-inch diameter pole. And, I mean, people are shaking, and there's a reason why they call it a pamper pole. I'll just let you kind of go with that. I won't draw you a picture. Once they finally get up, then they're supposed to jump off of that pamper pole to a little bar, like a trapeze bar, and, um, and then you're done. That's all. That's all we ask. <laughs> Climb up a little pole 30 feet high, stand on top of that pole, and then jump off a 30-foot pole to a little trapeze deal. Now, of course, the, the goal is for somebody to just do it, just accomplish the goal. And at Hume Lake, and I think this is true most camps, you have to do it. There is no choice. If you start the ropes course, you are going to finish that ropes course, and they do not let you down. I've seen kids up there for a half an hour. They do, you're going to do this. And they, the whole world says, you're going to do this. And then, of course, there's a whole crowd of people around them that's cheering them on. If they're at the top, they might be crying. I'm not even kidding. They may be crying. I'm not going to do it. No way. Get me out of here. Call the cops. Nope, you are going to do this. And the whole crowd is saying, you can do this. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. And what's the title of our series? You've got this. You've got this. Now, eventually they do it. Some people have the courage to just fly. They're just jumping. They're going for it. And if you just give it a good try, you're going to grab it. It seems like it's impossible, but it's really not that hard if you just go for it. Some people will grab their rope and just kind of, you know, whimper off and, uh, you know, sit down and slide and they'll try. Some people try to climb down the pole, in which case the guy at the bottom pulls them back up. You're not doing that. <laughs> it's really fun. When they're done with it, every person is glad they did it. They feel like they've accomplished something wonderful. But I want to be clear. When we tell the student, you've got this, we don't really mean you've got anything. You're basically falling, right? You don't have anything. Who really has it? Well, there's a person at the bottom called a belayer. A person at the bottom called a belayer. Now, the belayer is holding a rope, and, and the belayer can hold a 250-pound man with two fingers. That's just the nature of the rope and the hardware that it's all strung through, the nature of, of friction. The, the person at the bottom's got it. It's really not that big a deal. There's no risk. I mean, these ropes and that hardware is rated for 100 times more weight than we're dealing with here. The belayer has it. The reason why we can say with confidence to somebody on top of the pamper pole crying and soiling themselves, you've got this, is because the belayer really has it. The belayer really has it. 
Now, there's a, a little back and forth that happens in the rock climbing world, and I'm pretending like I know the rock climbing world. I don't. I would never do that stuff. But in the rock climbing world, there's this interchange that takes place, and it's very formal, and it has to be really done to a T. There's a question that goes out, on belay. That's actually a question, on belay. On belay is a question. Is somebody down there holding something? And then if the response is belay on, then you know with certainty you can jump off that pole, you can let go of that rock, and you're gonna be covered. On belay, belay on. The book of Philippians was written to a church who was very scared, rightfully so. They were very frightened. They were on top of that pamper pole, and it wasn't rock climbing. It was, it was the full fury of the Roman Empire, the psychopathic Emperor Nero, pouring down wrath and vengeance upon Christians. All the stuff you might have heard about and read about with Christians being thrown to the lions, being soaked in tar and lit on fire in the uh, gardens, uh, being crucified, all the stuff that you've heard about in terms of the Roman Empire persecuting Christians, that was happening during the writing of the book of Philippians. Nero was going hard after the Christian church. So they were very much afraid, very much afraid. They were wondering, is God out there? Does he have us? Am, Am I going to be okay? Is he with us? Now, when we look at that context, we might think, okay, gosh, you know, the the persecution of of the church was so extreme. The persecution of the church was just so radical. What are my problems compared with the persecution of the church? And we can minimize our own problems by thinking, gosh, they really had a problem, right? When their husbands were being taken away and lit on fire and crucified, okay, that's that's a bad day. What are my problems compared with that? We might minimize our problems. Well, I don't want us to do that because the reality is, yes, there are problems that are always worse than ours for sure, right? But they're real problems. They're real struggles. We're dealing with these things in a very real way. Relationship struggles are real and they're painful. Family struggles can feel impossibly heavy to bear. Health struggles, some diagnosis comes down with you or a loved one that'll break your heart and create fear. Financial struggles can loom very large and they can press down very heavily upon us. Emotional struggles are very real. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean they're not as painful as a physical problem. Feelings of just being in a funk or depressed or stuck or anxious or worried, those are very real problems. There are spiritual struggles, wrestling with, with, with what is right and what is wrong and, and I don't know what I believe anymore. Struggling with doubts, those are very real. Or if you're a compassionate person, you're probably bearing the burdens of other people, so you're not only bearing your own burdens, but you're bearing the burdens of others. These are very real problems that the book of Philippians speaks into. Just as clearly to a church that's persecuted, the book of Philippians speaks clearly into our lives. And as we go through the book of Philippians, it's very appropriate, and I would encourage us, as we go through the book of Philippians, to ask the question, Blay on? And through Philippians, God will tell us, on Blay. In other words, God says through Philippians, I'm on it. I've got you. I've got you. And, and you've got this because I've got this, right? That's why the theme verse of Philippians is so important. Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. That is an absolute promise. God says, I'm the one doing the work. I'm the one doing the work. Like the kid on the pamper pole. They're not doing any work. They're falling, right? But they've, they've got to make a move. 
God's the one who really has it. God is the one who has done the work. God's not looking to us and say, hey, you fix your own problems. You be strong. You know, um, you figure it all out. Uh, you, you know, kind of be the master of your own destiny here. And no, God says, I've got this. I began a good work on you, and I will finish that good work. As we talked about last week, that good work is God's work in us to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. That's his work in us, through the good and through the bad. God's work is not to make our life go all good. God, God is in the business of making us more like Jesus Christ. And he says, I will finish that. I've got you. And because I've got you, you've got this. You can move forward despite your fear. God says, I also have some ways to help. I've got some ways to help, including God's gift of each other. God gives us each other. He gives us each other as a gift. Philippians 1.8 says this, now, this is from the Apostle Paul who's writing to a church he loves very much. God knows how I care for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church he deeply loves. The Apostle Paul writing to a church that is afraid because of what's going on around him. He says, I want you to know right out of the gate, I love you. I'm here for you and you're here for me. Paul's writing from jail, and he thanks them later for visiting him and sending him gifts, and he's writing them a letter of encouragement. They love each other with this affection of Jesus Christ. That's what a church should be, right? A church should be this wonderfully united and friendly environment. Um, but sometimes people think of church quite differently. Sometimes people believe church is just this rote, irrelevant religious system and services, and you kind of know how it goes. You, you come in, and you go through the routine. How you doing? Fine, 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 fine. How's it going? Good, 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 good. You know, you sit down, and then you stand up, and you sing, and you sit, and you stand, and you sit, and you stand, and you read, and you recite, and you sit, and you stand, and you sit, and you hear, and then you stand, and you go, right? And, and because you've gone through that sort of, you know, uh, boring uh, trial uh, in life, but it was religious, so you think you might have satisfied God. And because you went to church and kind of endured that, then maybe the next time you pray, God will answer your prayer because you did something, um, you know, wonderful by going to church. That's kind of that religious mentality when it comes to church. The Apostle Paul is saying that's not church. That's religion. That's something else. Church really is a, an assembly. The word church just means a gathering. That's all it means. It's a very kind of cool word. Just means to gather. You're gathering together as friends. The Apostle Paul says there's an affection there. There's a warmth there. We build relationships with each other. We share stories. We celebrate together. We bear our burdens together. Sometimes we cry together, but we're walking this together. Then Paul prays about the thing that binds them together. He says, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's very clear what that knowledge and depth of insight is. That knowledge and depth of insight is in our love for God. To know more about his love for us, to know more about his grace, to know more about his forgiveness, to know more about his kindness. See, together, our relationship is not just because we like to hang out. I mean, you're nice enough people, right? I, I know quite a few of you are nice people. We love to hang out. But there's a reason why we're hanging out every Sunday. There's a reason why we're hanging out in our small groups. There's a reason why we're serving together in teams and serving our community locally and globally. Because we're bound together by the love of Christ. That's what binds us together. And there's something so cool about the church. Oftentimes our friendships are bound together because of some commonality. We're bound together because we work together. We're about the same age. We live in the same neighborhood. Sometimes our friendships are all about sameness. Because we're just comfortable with same. We come to church, we're all different. 
We come from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different demographics, all different ethnicities, different opinions, but we're all here and we're all together. Why? Because we love the love that Christ has for us. We love the reality that God's grace is pouring upon us unconditionally and endlessly flooding our lives. And that love and that grace really compels us to meet together and to be together and to get to know each other and ultimately to serve together and do something wonderful together. That's Paul's prayer, that that love would abound, and that is just an overflowing love received and then a love that's shared. It's so cool. Philippians 1.12 says that not only are we bound together by love, but we're bound together for a cause. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Apostle Paul's in prison, and the church at, at Philippi is worried about the Apostle Paul, not just for his own uh, safety, but they're worried because the cause of Christ might be stopped because Paul's in prison. He's the lead evangelist to all of the non-Jewish world. That's a big uh, job description God gave him, right? And he's sitting in prison. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, sitting in prison uh, was not on my to-do list today. I didn't plan on sitting in prison. I planned on sharing Christ city after city after city. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, even though this didn't go according to my plan, I'm still advancing the gospel, the good news. I'm advancing the cause of Christ, even sitting in prison. So the Apostle Paul is highlighting something very cool. Whether things are going well, whether things are going poorly, we are friends, and we are friends advancing the cause of Christ. That sound kind of familiar? We say it about 40 times a week. What's our mission statement? It's based on Philippians 1. Our mission statement is based on Philippians 1. We are thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. This is where it comes from. This affection that we have for each other, this friendship that we have for each other that's, that's developing not just here and in the courtyard, but in small groups and in serving teams. And we're advancing the cause of Christ, advancing the gospel. That gospel is the good news of God's grace, the good news of God's mercy through Jesus Christ. Advancing the cause of Christ. So what is the cause of Christ? Well, we look to the, to the life of Christ and the ministry of Jesus, and we just simply say as a church, we're going to do that. Whatever Jesus did, we're going to do. And it boils down to three simple things. So we can continue to be the kind of church that the Apostle Paul calls us to be 2,000 years ago in Philippians 1. The cause of Christ includes revealing God's transforming grace. That's what Jesus did. Jesus revealed God's transforming grace to everybody. People who were ostracized from the religious communities because they weren't the right, you know, they didn't have the right morals. They didn't have the right past. They've made too many mistakes. Um, they weren't the right ethnicity. They weren't the right gender to get kind of in the inner circles of things. Jesus showed God's grace to everyone, everywhere. That's the cause of Christ. That's number one, revealing God's transforming grace. So we look at Rancho, are we revealing God's transforming grace week after week after week? That's got to be our task. Not being peddlers of religion, you know, commandments, expectations. That's, that's just, that's death, right? Revealing God's transforming grace is what it's all about. And we've got to do that week after week after week without fail. As the Apostle Paul flooded love on the Philippians, we've got to do the same thing here. Uh, secondly, the cause of Christ is to grow together towards Christ-likeness. There's a journey. God's grace does something in us, right? Religion and commandments and peddling that stuff doesn't really transform the heart. Love does. So the more we know about God's grace, the more that we can grow together in community and relationship towards Christ-likeness. And that's what the Apostle Paul says God will do to completion. And then thirdly, the cause of Christ is to help people in need. So that's what Jesus did. That's what we're going to do. 
as Jesus revealed God's grace, as Jesus gathered together disciples to grow and to develop, and as Jesus helped people in need, this is the cause of Christ that we're advancing together as friends. All of this is right out of Philippians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul, as the leader, says, hey, I'm trying this right along with the rest of you. I want to do this right along with the rest of you. So in verse 20 of Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in me, whether by life or by death. And there's this famous verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boy, he says something incredible there. He says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but in everything I want to have courage. Isn't that what he says? I want to have courage. He says, this is my hope. This is my trust. This is my desire. As the leader of, the, uh, of this church and, and others, uh, he led seven churches at least in the area. He says, I want to do this by example. I want to connect as friends, and I want to advance the cause of Christ, that no matter what, if I'm free or if I'm in prison, if I'm alive or dead, I want to see that Jesus Christ is exalted in my life and in our community together. What a great example he is, and a great example he was. Now, he happened to be let out of prison. It's kind of the timeline's a little fuzzy here, but he was in and out of prison, um, but ended up dying by beheading in a Roman jail eventually. And even in that, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ spread. He closes out this section in Philippians 1.27. These two words are huge. Whatever happens, they're huge. Because a lot of us, don't want to say this. We don't want to say, hey, whatever happens, God, I want to be courageous. We want to say, God, would you fix things in my life? Would you please answer my prayers the way I want them answered? We want to kind of cling to a vision for our future that is a good vision. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it's totally understandable, right? As we said last week, God wants to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our desires. But he also wants us to not cling to the plans we have for our lives, but to sort of hold life with an open hand, an open hand, And if we could, like the Apostle Paul, say, hey, God, I'm going to pray for a lot of good things, but my life may not be full of a lot of good things. Whatever happens, God, whatever happens in my life, I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, standing firm in one spirit together, contending as one for the faith. If I were to summarize Philippians chapter 1, I'd say this. Courageously stand as one contending for the faith. Whatever is challenging you, whatever is creating fear in your life, whatever is creating uncertainty in your life, courageously stand as one. You are surrounded by friends. If you're not really connected around here, I want to urge you, get connected. Be a part of a small group. Be a part of a serving team. Develop friendships. This shouldn't just be a service you go to, check off a religious box, and then we'll see you next week or three weeks from now. It shouldn't be like that. There's a greater invitation here. Not to be more religious, who cares about that, but to build deeper friends, deeper friendships, together growing into Christ-likeness, together serving people who are in need. There's so much good stuff here if we're courageously standing as one, contending for the faith, really having the sense that God's going to do something spectacular through us, even though you still may have relationship problems, you still may have family problems, you still may have health struggles, you still may have financial problems, you still may have emotional problems, you still may have spiritual problems, you still may be bearing the problems of others. All those things may still be a reality in your life. But if we can pray as the Apostle Paul states, 
God, whatever happens, let's courageously stand as one contending for the gospel, getting the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Get that light shining to the whole world because the world needs it. The world needs it. If there's a a question in your life, you're standing on top of your pamper pole and you're afraid, and you're asking the question on belay, is there somebody out there, right? Is there, God, do you, are you really here? Do you really have me? Just know that through the pages of Philippians, God says something powerful to you. He says, do you have any idea how much I love you? I've proven that love through Jesus Christ. He died on a cross to forgive the world and rose again from the dead to give us new and eternal life. God says, I know you're facing difficulties. My son, Jesus, faced difficulties. He can sympathize with everything you're going, to, going through. God says, I am here for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never fail you. You are surrounded by a community of friends who are cheering you on through the good and through the bad. And you have a cause. You have a purpose together to advance the cause of Christ. And let God say, belay on. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this, this gem of a book in the middle of the New Testament, a short little four-chapter book that is your word of encouragement to us. Despite the fears in our life, despite anxieties, um, despite the pain that, that so many people are going through, whether things are going well or going poorly, this book is a book of encouragement. It's a book of grace that says you've got this, and you've got this because God, our Heavenly Father, never fails and never leaves. So God, we thank you for that. Thank you that no matter what we're going through, you sympathize with us, you, you weep with us, you understand what we've gone through because Jesus Christ, your son, has gone through it all. And we know your love and grace is sure because of what he did for us, giving his life on a cross to forgive sin, rising again from the dead to give us eternal life, even now leading us and guiding us to complete, to complete the work that you started in our lives to make us more like Christ to share your transforming grace with the world and to help people in need. I pray that this church would continue to be thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ, courageously standing as one, contending for the faith, contending for the gospel. We want to be a bright, shining light of your love and your grace to a community and a world in need. Thank you for the great privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.